The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning, and as we do get into the Word, uh, I want to share a few things that we're going to find, and maybe a few motivations for uh, the actual Word itself, the topic itself. I mean, I had in my heart a, a message, in fact, it's saved on my computer as incomplete message, because I was typing it out and beginning to lay out the, the outline for it, and then felt a, a real shift to, to change gears and go in a different direction. Now, that excites me sometimes uh, for this purpose. I mean, there are times where that actually makes me think like, oh, my gosh, here we go, you know. Uh, but, but I always want to make sure that when we do get into the Word that it's, it's what God's speaking because I, I think that's what we need. Uh, we've had our fill of good sermons. We need direction from God in our lives. So I'm hopeful that whether it's, you know, one person, whether it's everybody in the room, that today's message is specific and strategic uh, for where you're at and, and what you might be facing and dealing with, uh, because I know that God has great things. He's always wanting to lead us and guide us through of the things that we are, uh, are going through. So here's three things that we're going to find in the message. These are worth writing down uh, just to take a look at uh, through the Scripture, meant to keep you encouraged and engaged for the purpose of uh, looking forward to uh, uh, what we have on the way here. One, we're going to find what Jesus does. Now, that is a, a big deal. Uh, what Jesus does, not what he's done in the past, not what he is is, you know, did once upon a time, but what he does, present and active in your life today. Now, when you know what Jesus does in your life, it can introduce uh, an expectation. Now, expectations are great, but to have an expectation for Jesus to deliver, for Jesus to perform on your behalf, is really at the foundation of faith. I mean, what is faith if not believing for something to happen, right? So you've got to have expectation. You can't have faith without expectation. So when we begin to see in the scripture, wow, that's what Jesus does, then we can begin to expect him to do those things in our lives. And that lays the foundation for faith, which opens up the door for really great and fantastic things. So it's very important, in my opinion, to know what Jesus does so that we can have that expectation for him to do those things on our behalf. Another thing we're going to find is what we look like, what we look like to the world. When the world sees you, what they see. It's important to know that. And the third thing that we're going to find is what we need to see when we're looking at the things that we face. What we need to see. What our eyes need to see, what we need to be aware of when we are looking at the things that we face. So if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to open up with what Jesus does. What Jesus does. Luke chapter 4. Now there was a time when you would say, turn in your Bibles to, and you would hear this sound, you know, of pages. And now in the day of apps and all kinds of things, you don't hear that sound anymore. But if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, I want to look at verses 18 and 19 to see what Jesus does. Now, Jesus is, has been baptized by John the Baptist and anointed with the Holy Ghost. And he returns to a synagogue where he's handed a scroll. It's It's how they do church, so to speak. I mean, that's not the vocabulary they would use, but for, for this room and for our sakes, that's basically what happens. Jesus goes to church, and it's his turn 
to read from the scripture. I mean, kind of like we have a church service here. We've got volunteers that are on a list or they, you know, they, they make a rotation. They do things. Well, Jesus is up. It's his turn to read. They hand him a scroll and the scroll happens to be from Isaiah. And he begins to read from Isaiah very prophetic words. So when you get to Luke chapter 4, you'll see what he reads in verse 18. He opens up the scroll and he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And Jesus goes on to, to close the scroll and, and he informs the, the, the group that's there that in their presence, this prophecy has come to pass. And that really is an exciting thing to see and to know. I mean, one, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because uh, that's, that's a really powerful statement. Now, you and I are, are believers and, and as, a, as a believer with the anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life, I can take this passage of scripture and apply it to my life. That because applies to me. The Holy Spirit is present and active in my life for the same reasons that the Holy Spirit is present and active in the life of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. And then you have this list. The reason why the Spirit of God is present and active in my life is because there's an anointing to share the word. There's an anointing to encourage those that are are downtrodden. There's an anointing to set free those that are captive. There's an anointing to give sight to those who are blind. Now, that's for my life and for your life. But as Jesus is reading this passage of Scripture, he's proclaiming what he does. Why the Holy Spirit is on his life and what he does because of that. And I take this passage of Scripture and I begin to examine it and ask myself, is Jesus doing these things for me? It's a pretty good list to make. I mean, you could just take a sheet of paper and you could write out these things and you could begin to ask in any situation or circumstance, is Jesus doing these things for me? I mean, if you were making that list, it would start with, is the word present? First on the list is, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm anointed to bring the word to those who need it. So no matter what I'm dealing with, no matter what I'm facing, I know that Jesus is anointed, Jesus is present as my Savior in order first to bring the Word into my situation. When dealing with anything, whether it's victorious or whether it's difficult and it's a trial or tribulation, I can ask myself, is Jesus performing as the Word promises? Is the Word coming into this situation? Next on that list would be that, uh, to proclaim victory over captivity. Is there freedom here? Is there the presence of, of victory, or is this a situation where bondage is prevailing? Uh, recovery of sight to the blind. Now, that's what I want to focus on today. Recovery of sight to the blind. I've never been without my eyesight before, but yet Jesus is brought into my life by God as a manifestation of God's love for me in order for me to be able to see where I couldn't see before. No matter what we face, no matter what we deal with, Jesus is present to bring sight. Uh, Freedom for those that are oppressed. A lot of oppression in the world today. When we're facing and dealing with things, I know and understand, Father, you sent Jesus 
to liberate me from oppression. It's what he does. Not what he used to do, but it's what he does. And then the favor of God, that proclamation of favor, that ultimate declaration of victory that God wins. This is all the the list of things that Jesus does that he brings into our life all by the presence and the power, the active presence and power, that is, of the Holy Spirit. So knowing that and establishing that, we have this, this list of things that Jesus is doing in our life, no matter what we face and no matter what we deal with. This is a wonderful list of promises. You can expect these things to be present in your life, to have direction from the word, to have hope of, of freedom and liberation, to not be led by outside influences or be led captive by the influence of the culture or the world, but rather to be led by Jesus as your righteous king. Uh, To have the ability to see where there's no vision, to have sight. That's a powerful thing. I want to tell you a little bit about why the gears shifted. And, you know, like I mentioned before, there was a message that was being uh, established and you know, it's now saved on my computer, like I said, as, as unfinished message. But it, a conversation took place very recently. It was yesterday, and, and I wanted to be careful and make sure that, that you know, certain people weren't in the room because it involved them, and, and, and they're not here, so I think it's safe to, to talk about. But the conversation uh, was about decision-making, and in this case, it was about drug use. And the conversation uh, was, was, you know, there had been these, these wonderful uh, I- uh, goals identified, you know, to be free from addiction and, and to see uh, a life turn around and move in a prosperous and healthy direction, uh, to have relationships restored, uh, really, really powerful, wonderful, godly things to, to push for. And, and this individual had had a, a, a setback, and, and that was a real uh, troubling situation. I began to talk with them, and, and in that conversation, there were some questions that were, were asked, you know. I mean, <clears throat> they're not meant to be provoking, but they're meant to, to stir thought. And, and one of the questions was, it's going to sound really basic, but it was, why did you do it? You know, and, and what's funny is the answers that you get can be very revealing. I remember one time talking to an individual and I asked them that same question and their answer was because it was there. And, and I had to inform that person, you're going to be in big trouble if that's all it takes for this to control your life because it's always going to be there. There's no victory for you if all it has to do is be present to be in control. And it opened the door to begin to, to minister to that situation. Well, that's why I asked this person, why did you do it? And the person, you know, in their response said, uh, do you know why people do that? And, and, and I thought, that's kind of a, uh, an interesting way to open, you know. And I said, well, I have a few ideas, but, but why don't you tell me? And they said, because what they face and what they deal with becomes so overwhelming, they don't see any way out. And I looked at the person and I said, you know, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. That's, that's, that'll do it every time. But you need to find a different solution 
because you're compounding all your problems going about it the wrong way. And I think when you look at the gospel, when you see the things that Jesus is called to bring into our life, you see God ministering to the same problem that this individual was describing. Where the situation has gotten so out of control, so out of hand, seemingly so impossible that we give up. And it's a pretty interesting thing to consider. And it got me thinking, what, what does someone need when they're in this situation? I mean, if these are the things that Jesus brings into our life to minister to this situation, how do you apply these things to the world around you that's facing the same challenge? Where all they can see is the size of their problems. And all I could think of when that thought was rolling through my mind was sight to the blind, sight to the blind. He came to give sight to the blind. And it started stirring in my heart. I began to realize this is a really big deal. The idea that, that Jesus came to give sight to the blind is not just a miracle that was going to confirm that he's the Christ, that people who were literally physically without their eyesight would have their eyesight restored and it would be a sign to the world that the Messiah had come, but rather every single person is meant to receive sight from Jesus Christ. Whether their eyes have ever been darkened or not, that there has been a call from God to release vision into the lives of men so that we can see past problems. And that's really what I want to emphasize. Like we're, we're, we're getting rolling here in the message, but that's really the point. In the end, we are, are equipped to see past our problems. When you can see past your problems, you can see solution. When that individual told me they used you know, drugs to escape what seemed to be a, a, a situation that was hopeless, that was an individual who couldn't see past the problem and they gave up. They couldn't see past the problem and they compromised. They couldn't see past the problem and they lost. But God's given us something great. He's given us the ability to see past those things in order to see victory, in order to see righteousness prevail, in order to see change and transformation that might not be uh, easy to see right now, but if you can look a little bit further, it's there. And really and truly, that's what Jesus brings into our life. And it begins to make other passages of Scripture make sense. I mean, like passages... Like, uh, without vision, people perish. I mean, if you can't see past what's right in front of you, what's right in front of you is going to win. But to be able to see past the problem is where the solution is present. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here from the Gospel of Mark. It's a passage we've used before when talking about uh, vision and sight, but it's, it's very good for today's message uh, as far as the, the content is concerned. Mark chapter 8 I want to read verses 22 through 25. Uh, Jesus is ministering, and he's, he's ministering the Word. He's ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. People are being set free from demonic oppression. People are being healed from sickness and disease. And, and all of these things are taking place. Something specific happens here in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. It says, As they came to a certain place, a blind man was brought to Jesus, and the blind man asked Jesus to touch him. 
Taking the blind man by the hand, Jesus brought him out to the side of the village. And spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Verse 24, the man looked up, looked around, and said, I see men walking around like trees. Then in verse 25, it says, again, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes, and the man looked intently, his sight was restored, and he began to see everything clearly. Pretty interesting passage of scripture here, and, and there's a lot of different ways that you could interpret it. Now, you could interpret this as, as you know, maybe Jesus fired a dud or he had an off day, laid hands on the guy, something really kind of happened, so hey, let's try that again. But you and I both know that's not the case. That's not really how Jesus functions and operates. I don't think he's ever halfway done anything, right? So you don't have like, you know, failure to launch or, or some kind of a situation here where something just didn't work out, but something really powerful and strategic is happening. Well, when you know the, the scripture, you can see, and we're not going to stay on this long. This isn't the message, but it's a good foundation for the message. Uh, passages of scripture like Isaiah 55, 12, uh, Psalm 1, 3, uh, you can look at Matthew 7, Isaiah 61, 3. I mean, these are just a handful. You could go through the scripture and you could create a list where men are identified or compared to trees, right? I mean, just think of like Psalm 1, right? Uh, you know, how blessed is the man? He's like a tree planted beside streams of water, right? So you see in the scripture that God has, has used the, the metaphor or the, the, the comparison between a man's life and a, a tree. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. Well, he wasn't talking about agriculture. He's talking about people and what they do and what they produce. So what we see here is Jesus lays his hands on this blind man, and all of a sudden this blind man begins to see men like trees. Pretty interesting. Then Jesus lays his hands on him again, and, and his eyes that were once seeing nothing but darkness begin to see clearly. He gets his physical sight restored. And what's really amazing to me is the last line in this passage. It says, he looked intently and was restored. Okay? So what we've established there is that he got his eyesight back right then and there. He looked intently and was restored. Then something else, comma, and he began to see everything clearly. Now you could take that, read that, and say, well, that's just describing that he got his eyesight back and his eyesight was 20-20. It was really good. Maybe, or maybe this. Maybe Jesus opened the, his eyes in his spirit man so that he began to see men like trees, as the word would, would put it. And then Jesus opened his physical eyes, and it was the combination of both of those sets of eyes being opened that let him see the world around him clearly. If we only see with our physical eyes, we can be led astray. But we have to have the physical open, the spiritual open, those two working in combination in order to see clearly what's going on around us. If we're only looking with our physical eyes, we might only see the problem that's right in front of our face. If we're only looking with our physical eyes, we might only see that issue that seems out of hand, out of control, that it seems impossible. 
And it opens up the door for that compromise, that, that failure, that giving up, that laying down and dying. But if we can have both eyes opened up, if we can see not only with the physical, yeah, there's a problem there, but with our spiritual eyes, we can see past it to a solution, then we can see clearly. Not be led by a voice of deception that says you're going to lose. Not be led by a lie that says you're going to fail. But we don't deceive ourselves and say there is no problem, for the physical eye is open. I see the problem. It's right in front of me. But I also, in the eyes of my spirit, see past it, and Jesus wins. No matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm thinking, I can see past what's right in front of me. And what's really amazing about this is, you know, it starts to stir the thought about sight. Well, what is sight? I mean, how does sight work? And it's pretty interesting because it's something that, that we have. You know, you have eyes and you can see, and yet it's something that we don't really, you know, pursue an understanding of unless you're an eye doctor or unless you, you know, just have kind of an interest in it. It's something that's very easily taken for granted. I don't just walk around and think, man, eyesight is so cool. How does that work? It's just something I've had. But it's all about light. Your, your brain is interpreting the, the light reflecting off of, of the objects that are around you, and that is your eyesight. And when you consider then what light is in the Scripture, it's a really wonderful and powerful thing. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture here as we continue to move forward. 1 John 1, 5. John 1, 5 reads like this. Light shines in the darkness and overcomes it. Light shines in the darkness and overcomes it. For sight to exist, there must be the presence of light which overcomes darkness. Whether sight is existing in the physical or sight is existing in, in the spiritual, no matter what, it's the result of light winning. When that individual told me about their decision and their, their compromise decision, their, their failure in that one situation, what they were revealing to me was that darkness uh, over, overcame. Darkness won. There was no presence of light. It led to a situation that ended up being a, a, a failure. It ended up leading to a situation that was a compromise. And it, it really breaks my heart to consider that because God has paid the highest price to bring light into the world. Here's a few passages of Scripture. Jesus spoke in John 8, 12, and, and He said, I am the light of the world. The one that follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Anytime I've ever been outside of light, anytime I've felt darkness rising up and, and darkness prevailing in my life, it's because I'm not following Jesus in that situation. I mean, that passage of Scripture in and of itself is enough to reveal that as a fact, as a truth. He is the light, and the one that follows Him will not Walk in darkness. If I begin to follow something else, probably going to go dark. If I begin to follow after the appetites of the flesh or, or the, the, the lust or the pride of life or the things that exist in, in, in every person's life that are revealed in the Scripture that lead to destruction, it's going to go dark. But if I can follow Jesus in the thing that I'm facing and dealing with, I will walk in the light. And I love words like will because it's absolute. It's not sometimes, it's not, hey, you got a better shot. You know, the odds are in your favor. It's a promise of victory. And that opens up a door for, for me to, to 
make my mind and my heart come into this surrender. Maybe it affects my prayer life. But when I'm dealing with something, that prayer can be offered up. Father, I want to follow Jesus through this so that I don't walk in darkness. He is the light. I want to follow him and I want to walk in the light. Now then Jesus says something great and this is a wonderful uh, release of your identity and your purpose as a Christian. Uh, Jesus goes on to say things like this. This is John 9, 5. He says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Well, now that's an interesting thing because he's ascended into the heavens, right? But he's still in the world and how is that? It's in you and it's in me. Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16, they read like this, You are the light of the world. You. Now this is an important thing to consider when we look at the world around us. A world that is sitting in darkness. A world that has constantly got problems and issues set right in front of their face that seem to be too great to overcome. They can't see past them. We're called to bring the light necessary in order for them to see. You are the light of the world. You are a a, a city that's set on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather they put it on a stand so that it gives light to all of those who are present. Now, I want to read this passage to you, Matthew 5, 16. It's right where we're at there. It's an instruction. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good work and glorify God who is in heaven. That's the instruction for your life as a Christian in my life. That my light shines in such a way that it affects those around me and that it affects those around me in such a positive way that they're left with only one option and that's to give thanks to God. Bringing light into situations where there's darkness is the call that's meant to be the evangelistic call that God designed. Far beyond invitations to services and the passing out of tracts, but rather the choices and the decisions and the words that we make when we know that we're working with those around us who are facing darkness and overwhelming uh, situations and circumstances, we can carry the light that opens up the door for hope and ultimately victory. I had a conversation with that person that had compromised. And uh, they, they asked a question, and I thought, what an interesting question to ask. I, there had been some encouragement given and some opportunity given in, you know, to, to move forward. There, there was light that was offered, uh, a light that would include tremendous you know, change and, and opportunity for a, an entirely different set of circumstances if embraced. And, and the question was asked, why do you do this? Oh, what an interesting thing to ask. No one's ever asked that before. And just out of default, I mean, I just made the, the statement, you know, well, because I care. And, and that was kind of the, the, I was shocked by the question, didn't really have a prepared answer. And that's true, I do care. But it stirred in my heart, that's an interesting thing that someone would recognize the hope being injected into a situation and wonder, why would you take the time to do that? The real answer might have been something that, that, that would have been more than could be uh, understood in that situation. 
without it becoming a long conversation? The, the answer to that is because that's who I'm made to be. It's who I'm called to be. It's who you're called to be. You're called to be light, to introduce hope, to bring light into those dark situations. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Ephesians. Ephesians 5, uh, I want to start in verse 8. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8, reads like this. You were formerly darkness, but now you are the light of the world. So walk as children of the light. The fruit of light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. And don't participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. It goes on to say that everything that is exposed into the light becomes light. This is really our call and our purpose. It goes beyond just giving good advice or, or being there to encourage somebody when they're downtrodden. Rather, this is the gospel executed and carried out. This is the, the destruction of, of hopelessness and the introduction of victory. It's, it's who we are and who we're called to be. And here's, here's an interesting passage of Scripture just to identify what we look like to the world. When that person asked me, why do you do this? I, I, I came to understand something, that what they were seeing and what they were receiving was so different than what they're used to seeing and what they're used to receiving that it caused them to ask why. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it reads like this. Do all things without grumbling and disputing or complaining, so that you'll prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as light in the world. When the world sees us doing the things that we're anointed and equipped to do, we look different. We look like light. And that opening passage there about not grumbling or complaining is, is an interesting thing to me. I, I, I think you could interpret that a couple of different ways. But I think one of the, the best ways to look at it and apply it here is we, when we react or respond, rather, to the things that are going on around us, the way that God has equipped us to respond, it looks different than the world's reaction. I had a, a, an individual sit me down and they were talking to me about something that had gone wrong. It was, it was a, a real challenge. And they had all, all day had been saying, man, he's going to be so mad. Man, he's going to be so mad. And I think they were, were wanting to show up and watch the fireworks. Because when I showed up at the, the site there, everyone gathered round. It was, it was going to be, let's, let's watch Preston burn. And they revealed the problem to me, and I looked at it, and I said, huh, we'll need to fix that. And they all just kind of looked. And one of them said, well, aren't you mad? And I said, well, it bothers me, but we just need to fix it. And then everybody dispersed, and, and the person that was in charge sat there and looked at me and said, do you ever get mad? And I thought, I need to tell the truth right now. I said, absolutely, I do. I just don't handle it like maybe you're used to. Now, let me tell you something. 
I blow it a lot. I mean, all you have to do is ask my wife or, or my kids. I can lose it, and I've done a lot of things wrong, a lot of things wrong. In fact, I've probably done more things wrong than right, and, and that's really something I want to just say so that there's no you know, arrogance or, or something false presented here. But in that situation, what they saw was so contrary to what they're used to seeing that it, it caused them to stop and ask. And really, we're so unique in what we've been called and equipped. We've been given something to see past the problem so that we're not led by the problem. And we don't all just sit around in a powwow fussing and whining about the problem. Rather, we see past it to the victory, and that's what we pursue. And to the world, that's going to look freakish. Why can you hold it together right now? Well, if I were to give them a one-word answer, it would be Jesus that's why I can hold it together. Because I've read, we win in the end. No matter how bad it gets, we win. The saints win. Jesus wins. When you know the end from the beginning, it's a real excellent thing to lean upon and can carry you through some extreme trials. I want to give you a passage of scripture here as we, we close. And it's, it's really the effects of having your eyes open to be able to see past things. Not just see things with the physical, but to see with your spiritual eyes past what's present in front of your face. And I think it's a, a, a passage of Scripture that opens up the door for every believer to, to walk free from a myopic burden of only seeing what's right in front of you. Ephesians chapter 1, I want to begin in verse 15. Now, Paul is, is speaking, he says, For this reason too, I've heard of your faith in Jesus, which exists among you, your love for the saints. So he's talking to Christians, he's talking to believers. He could be writing this to you. And I don't cease praying and giving thanks and mentioning you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that our Father in heaven, will give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And now here's verse 18, and this is really the verse that I want you to, to catch here. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, that's your, your, your spirit man, not your physical eyes, but your spiritual eyes. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open so that you will know the hope of his calling the riches of his glory, the inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power to us who believe. Now, one of the challenges is, is time, because over time, people speak different. I'm realizing how old I am now, because I'll work with younger people, and they'll say things, and I'll think, I understood about half of what you just said. But, but you know, speech changes over time. But catch what Paul is saying here, if we just take it and break it down for just a moment. I pray that the eyes of your heart be opened up so that you'll know. Now, I pause right there and I just think, if the eyes of my heart aren't opened, I'm not going to know these things. The only way that I can know these things is if the eyes of my heart are opened up. I pray that the eyes of your heart are opened up so that you'll know, one, there's hope. That's the first one, that there's hope. That the problems that you see right in front of you with your physical eyes aren't going to win. They're not unbeatable. 
They're not too big. They're not too far gone, but that there's hope. I pray that your spiritual eyes will be open so that first you'll have hope. And then on the list, he has uh, the glory of the inheritance of the saints. What is the inheritance of the saints if it's not victory? I pray that the eyes of your spirit will be open so that you can see hope in every situation, so that you can see victory in every situation. And then the last thing on this list here is so that you can see the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So that you can see God's power as bigger. Now, it sounds pretty cliche, but I'm telling you, the message that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world is a message that once it is believed and embraced and walked out, makes you invincible. The idea that Jesus is bigger than any problem, the idea that Jesus is stronger than any temptation, the idea that Jesus will make a way is absolute in its provision of victory in any situation or circumstance. And based on Paul's prayer here, it's about having your eyes open to see past what's right in front of you. The eyes of your spirit open to see past the presence of loneliness. The eyes of your spirit open to see past the presence of poverty. The eyes of your spirit open to see past the presence of failure of any kind. And to see God moving on your behalf. That his power is greater. That your purpose, your identity, your calling surpasses the lies and the deception that exist in this world that you're going to fail. And the, the idea that an individual would face a crossroads is not something that's unique. When that individual that had made that poor decision explained why they made that poor decision, it hit home to me that that's every person every day. What is your life if not a string of decisions and choices? And each one of those decisions and choices having a profound effect on the direction of your life. We've been given Jesus to lead us and guide us to victory. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask for something to take place in our lives that I believe is, according to Paul, absolutely necessary. And the prayer is not meant to be a one-time prayer. I'm sure it's a prayer that has been prayed before. It's a, a, an idea and a concept that, that fills Christian music and, and ideology. But specifically today, the, the desire and the feeling to, to be moved to bring that word could easily be just outside influence, the, the, the world that I deal with and, and the situation that I dealt with. But I really felt it important to bring that to the congregation this morning. I'm not sure if it applies to you directly or indirectly. Maybe there's people you know that need to, to have this prayed in a spirit of intercession over their lives. That their eyes would be open to see beyond what's right in front of them. Because what's right in front of them is lying to them. What's right in front of them is saying you're going to lose. What's right in front of them is saying there's no hope. What's right in front of them is saying you failed. But to have the eyes of their spirit the eyes of their heart opened up to see past that myopic lie that God's made a way for victory, that there is hope, 
That our identity as the saints guarantee that victory for each one of us. And that God's present power is working on our behalf to bring that victory to pass. Has the ability to secure and stabilize our heart and mind to hold through every dark temptation and to, to make the right choices when faced with the crossroads that we all face. I mean, whether it's direct and it's you here in the room or whether it's indirect and you need to carry this message to someone else, I believe the message is for today. And I want to pray, I want to ask God to do a work in us and through us. Is there where you stand, you're welcome to be in agreement. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for light, that Jesus would come and be the light, and we thank you that he is in us and that he's called us to be light to this world. And let the light that we've been called to carry overcome all darkness. Let us be a fountain of hope in everything that we do and in all that we say. Let us stand out to this world that when they see our behavior when confronted with provocation and when confronted with situations that are troublesome, let them ask, wow, why do you do it that way? Let it be an opportunity for evangelism. Let each one of us be different, all because the eyes of our spirit have been opened. Let us truly be a people who could be identified as those who see things clearly. That we wouldn't be led astray by the present deception, the present provocation of what's right in front of our face, but let us be free from that myopic bondage to see past the things that are right in front of us. To your victory. To the presence and the activity of your spirit working on behalf of your will to see the things that you desire, that you have ordained, and that you have called into existence come to pass. And let every deceiving lie fall short and fail. And let each one of us as the saints stand tall, filled with thanksgiving, with our eyes wide open to see clearly your will coming to pass, your kingdom expanding your people walking in victory, and those who suffer bondage being liberated. Let us truly stand just like Jesus. The Spirit of God is upon us because we've been anointed to bring your word. We've been anointed to bring freedom where there's captivity. We've been anointed to open up blind eyes. We've been anointed to set free those who are oppressed. We've been anointed to declare your favor and your victory. And let all of those things be released in and through our lives for your glory. We bless your name and we surrender the eyes of our spirit to you to be open. That we might see clearly and that we might do the things that are pleasing to you. We give you our lives and we surrender all that we are to the carrying out of your will for your glory. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.